Welcome to, to the, the HUD. HUD. I'm Lomi Blum. And I'm Jaden Hires. The HUD is a student-run podcast run by the Hudsonian newspaper. Our news is your news. Full disclosure, the views of our guests do not represent the views of the hosts or the HUD. Thanks for listening. Our first guest is Jeffrey Schoonmaker, the founder and current faculty advisor for the Student Christian Association, who will be retiring later this year. How are you doing? How's your day been? Good, good. Beautiful day outside. Mark and I went out for a nice ride over to Thompson's Lake and Thatcher Park and Stopped for ice cream on the way home. It was a fabulous nice. day. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. So thank you for letting us interview you. This has been long awaited. Sure. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, so, um, so my first question for you is when did you first identify yourself as a Christian? Oh, um, gee, uh, that's a good question. I don't know if I ever gave myself that label when I was a child, but certainly as a child, uh, hearing the gospel, hearing that Jesus Christ became a man and died for my sins and rose on the third day, uh, I came to to faith, I came to believe in him, started reading the Bible back when I was, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12. I remember around a campfire once at a summer camp, actually meeting with a counselor afterwards and out loud in front of him mm. confessing my faith in Christ. And um, so that, that was kind of a watershed moment because after that, I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I just, I wanted to read it so badly. I wanted to learn more about God. I wanted to get closer to him. I wanted to understand my connection between he and me better. And so the Bible was the primary source for that. And I started reading it avidly, especially in my teenage years to the word of Christ. What drew me to the word of Christ? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yep. Okay. Um, At the time, it was probably childlike faith because clearly my parents, my church, Christianity in general was pretty prominent in the United States back in the 50s and 60s. And so there was a childlike faith that, yeah, this is true. Uh, it, it, it holds together consistently and logically. Uh, there are there is, uh, a lot of Christianity is based on history, which has been recorded by eyewitnesses. There was no reason to doubt it. And so uh, that was my original, um, my original feeling about it. Since then, as a teenager, as a college student, and as, a, as an adult, Um, I spent quite a bit of time examining the evidence for the truth of Christianity, such that my faith now is not just childlike faith, it's not a blind faith, I don't just believe it because my parents taught it to me, I live in a Christian nation, so you know, you got to be a Christian, Uh, it's not that anymore, It's, it's realizing that the archaeological evidence, the textual evidence, the eyewitness testimony of people, um, it's just... 
Christian faith is based on fact. It's based on evidence. It's based on history. It's based on science. It's based on such a wide variety of things. Fulfilled prophecy. I mean, there isn't any other religion in the world that has such a voluminous body of very detailed prophecies that have been fulfilled. Some Old Testament prophecies have been filled, been fulfilled already during Old Testament times. So you can look at the prophecy, you can look at the, the fulfillment, and it's just, it's astonishing the detail. Um, and then the, all the prophecies related to um, the Son of God taking on human form, and dying for our sins and rising on the third day, all that's been prophesied, that's been fulfilled uh, in spades. So now my faith rests firmly. There's still faith involved, but it rests firmly on uh, a wide range of evidence. What would you say that the role of faith, and specifically the Christian faith, has on campus? Like, what is the role of faith on campus? Well, when I got to campus, um, when I got to Hudson Valley in the fall of 1969, uh, I started to meet a couple of Christians just because I put up signs in my office or on the door or whatever, and that attracted some attention. And I found out there really was not uh, an evangelical or solidly foundational Christian club on campus. There was a club, I think they called it the United Christian Fellowship, that was run by a local pastor who did not believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale or that the Red Sea was parted or any of the other Old Testament miracles that were documented by eyewitnesses. He thought they were just stories that were made up to teach us something. And I thought, okay, that's not Christianity. I don't know what you call that, but that's not Christianity. So um, at the urging of some of the Christian students on campus, I started the Student Christian Association back probably in 70 or 71. And my desire was just to have a group on campus that stood for truth. Uh, you know, the Bible isn't full of fables. It's also not full of contradictions, which atheists believe that it is, but it's not. Um, so to start a club that would be based on, on facts and evidence and truth was my passion. And uh, I got a lot out of it myself from the students, their enthusiasm, their, their, their faith in Christ. Uh, watching them grow during the year or two that they're in the club was was a blessing to me and an encouragement to me. But that's what got me started. And have you, as a as a physics, you teach physics? Is that true, or before your retirement? Yeah, I yes. Have you found? your faith question from either side, like uh, the scientific side uh, in your field or your religious uh, community because of the relationships you have with science and religion? No, I've read a number of books that um, expose the fallacy that somehow science and religion are enemies or are at odds with one another or are inconsistent with one another. Uh, really highly, highly qualified PhD credentialed people have studied this literally for decades, maybe longer than that, and have written eloquently and convincingly that the two are not at odds with one another. But more specifically, what's exciting for me is, and this is why I started a, another club, I stepped away from the Student Christian Association and started Scientists Exploring God a couple of years ago before COVID hit. Um, because in the last 30, 40, 50 years or so, 
there have been scientific discoveries that so clearly are consistent with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The most important scientific discovery, and this is without, this is beyond any shadow of a doubt, all cosmologists, astronomers, scientists in general recognize that the data proves that the universe had a beginning. Prior to that proof, people, especially atheists or unbelievers, thought that the universe was eternal. It's just always existed. We know now that that's scientifically not true. The universe had a beginning. Then the laws of physics especially come into play. Two in particular. One, you can't get something from nothing. If the universe began to exist, where'd it come from? You can't get something from nothing. The second law is, for every effect, there must be a cause. These are indisputable scientific laws that cannot be violated. So the fact that the universe had a beginning, and by the universe I mean not only matter and energy, but wait till you hear this because this is going to really blow your mind. Time. Time and space also had a beginning. So before 13 and a half billion years ago, time didn't exist. Space didn't exist. So according to Stephen Hawking, whose name you might know, Stephen Hawking, Roger Penrose, the entire cosmological community recognizes that matter, energy, space, and time, all of those things, suddenly came into existence 13 and a half or 13.8 billion years ago. Hmm. Given the laws of physics, the universe could not have created itself. You can't get something from nothing. If the effect is the beginning of the existence of the universe, the cause for that effect has to precede and lie outside of the beginning of the universe. In addition to that, whatever that cause is, it has to possess a quality that you and I know as volition. In other words, this entity, whatever it is, that caused the existence of the universe, had to have the ability to make the decision. I'm going to start the universe. Um, Because of the presence of information and beauty and design and order in the universe, it makes sense that that cause had to possess another quality that you and I know of, mind. So not only did the universe have a cause that lied outside of the universe, but evidence says that that cause has to be an entity with a mind capable of making a decision. Now you tell me, do you know any other candidate other than God for that? There isn't any other candidate. There's no other game in town. So, and it's not just the universe, it's, um, oh golly, what else? Uh, Intelligent design is a growing scientific field that doesn't say anything about theology, but it simply says, if you look at Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore was designed. Those stone figures in North Dakota, they they weren't formed by accident, by wind and erosion and so forth. They were intelligently designed. So when you look at our bodies, when you look at DNA uh, and so forth, and the information content there, you recognize they had to be designed. There's no way in the world that they formed themselves 
or they came together by accident or by chance. And again, book after book after book have been written in the last 20 years or so by credentialed scientists that document that. So the origin of the universe, intelligent design, uh, irreducible complexity, the fine-tuning of the universe, that's another thing. I could go on for 10, 10 minutes about the fine-tuning of the universe. Let me just give you one example. If the force of gravity were just a little bit stronger, mm-hmm. the universe would not exist. If the force of gravity were just a little bit weaker than it is, the universe would not exist. That's one thing out of a hundred that scientists, again, some of these scientists are atheists, that scientists have identified that if those features, if those numbers were even a little bit different from what they are, the universe wouldn't exist. Life wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist. It's called the fine-tuning of the universe. So all of that science, which a lot of it's fairly recent, certainly since I started teaching, all of that science points so strongly to the existence of God. It's not funny. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. One guy said, it looks like we've, we've climbed the, the mountain of discovery and we find out the theologians have been sitting at the top all along. In other words, science is finally catching up to what Christians and Jews, probably Muslims, have believed for millennia. And what would you say the role of, well, what's the importance of a a faith-based community on campus? Why do we need a Christian club? Why do we need a Christian club? Uh, It goes back to what I said earlier. For truth, as you know, especially this present generation, many of them have not grown up in a religious household. Uh, Statistics show that tons of people don't go to church anymore. Back in the 50s, it seemed like everybody went to church. And and so there's there's almost a vacuum of truth. And people are making up things. Uh, They're searching searching for truth in areas that are not well qualified to state what the truth is. Many people are simply believing what makes them feel better. In fact, one girl came to our Scientists Exploring God Club. We were going around the room talking about what we believe. And she described what she believed, and I asked her why. And she said, because it makes me feel comfortable. That is not a good foundation for believing something. You can't just believe something because it makes you feel comfortable. You've got to ask the question, is it true? Is what I'm believing actually objectively true? such that I can pattern my life after it with confidence. If it's just something I make up in my own head, I don't think anybody would advocate making up something about life or the afterlife or God or whatever else in your own head and then living your life as if it were true. No, you just made it up. So there's a need on, especially college campuses, which should stand for the truth. There is a need for the truth being available to students in some format. And there's gonna be college professors that don't know the truth and that say outrageous, crazy things. Um, What are you gonna do? You can't stop them, they have academic freedom. Uh, But especially in the humanities department, you're gonna get faculty members that that 
believe we descended from apes or all of life descended from amoeba in a, in a slime somewhere. I mean, all of these theories that are believed are systematically being dismantled as more and more science comes to light. Remember, Darwin, back in 1850 or so, you know what he thought a cell was? Oh, like a little piece of jello. Just, just a uniform mass of stuff. Hmm. He had no idea the complexity of the cell. Well, back in the 1850s then, his evolutionary theories gained a lot of following, especially by atheists who didn't want to believe in God, um, because it took God out of the picture. Well, everything just kind of evolved. Well, we know now that that, that can't happen. And again, many, many books have been written to expose the, the drawbacks of evolution. I don't want to filibuster, but let me just quickly say this. The fact that the finches, beaks, on the Galapagos Islands that Darwin studied changed their thickness or length is an example of what should be called adaptation. There's no controversy about adaptation. Species adapt all the time. Little small changes take place in species all the time. That aspect of evolution is absolutely factual. What's not factual, what's conjecture, what's not proven, what for which there's hardly any evidence, physical evidence whatsoever, is birds are really dinosaurs. And what frustrates me is I read bird magazines all the time, and every once in a while, somebody says, well, you know, birds are dinosaurs. No, they're not. But it's commonplace now, especially in, in biological circles, to not only believe in adaptation, which is a fact, but to believe in what's properly called macroevolution, mm. which is major changes from, I mean, think about how different a bird is from a dinosaur, major changes between species like that. Well, think about it. How many tiny, valuable, helpful, spontaneous mutations would have to take place over millions and millions of years to change from a dinosaur into a bird. I would guess millions of them. In which case, shouldn't the fossil record be filled with millions of oddball creatures that have a little tiny bit of a difference? It wasn't enough yet. They had to wait for generations for another little difference to add on. It's just... I don't know, you'd have to read a book to get a full picture of this, but, but I read all these books and it's just, macroevolution is just, it's just out there. It's, it's atheists grabbing at straws. Um, some atheists actually admit, I don't want there to be a God. That's ideological. That, that's their ideology. That's not science. So, yeah, anyway, sorry to go on quite so long. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate your input. Um, and how has the Student Christian Association changed over um, the many decades since you've started it? Uh, I don't think it has much. Uh, what we do on any given Monday, well, I think you were, you were both there, right, the first, the first Monday? Yes, we were. Yeah, I thought so. Um, what we do hasn't changed much, and I don't think the students have changed much. Uh, Christian students still need encouragement. They need mutual support. They need to make friends with other Christians. Uh, and so that's a gathering place for that. They need to grow. They need to learn the Bible better. 
they need to grow in their love for one another, and so praying for one another is an important element. So the three basic elements that we try to have time for in every meeting is worship. We all love to sing. Um, studying God's Word or either a part of the Bible or a topic in which you, you look up what does the Bible say about this topic, uh, and then praying for one another, praying for the campus and so forth. So that hasn't changed at all in, in 50 years. Thank well, you. Well, thank you so much for letting us interview you. Yes, absolutely. And this has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. And yeah, I, we hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be back after this short break, where afterwards we'll be talking to Crystal Heschmott, the faculty advisor for the Jewish Student Union. How are you? How's your day been? Well, we've been having issues with Windows updates at our house, so oh. first my husband's computer failed, and then mine was being goofy, but... I think we're finally set now. That's good. Well, thank you um, so much for um, letting me interview you. You're welcome. I'm excited to do it. So when did you first um, personally identify yourself as a Jew? (laughs) I'm going to throw you a curveball right off the bat. Yeah. So right off the bat, I have to say I'm actually not Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But uh, I've been sort of, uh, I guess I would say, Jewish affiliated, perhaps my whole life. I mean, the first boy that I really fell for was was a Jewish fellow, you know. <laughs> and um, and what had happened, and how I ended up being the, the the advisor for the Jewish Student Union at Hudson Valley was just that um, there were students who had wanted to start the club. They had gone around. They had asked people that they thought that you know would be welcome to it or open to it, and uh, everybody had said no. And so finally, they had come around. I was tutoring in the LAC at that point, mm-hmm. and They'd come around and and we I had been working with a whole bunch of different people that semester and finally a couple of them approached me and said, Would you be an advisor for us? Would you be, you know, willing to at least sign the papers? And I was like, sure, you know, I want to help facilitate whatever students want to do. Yeah. And I and I had studied Judaism a little bit when I was in college and had thought about thought about converting, but didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. If I laugh, I moved the computer too much, sorry. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting that they had sort of identified me as a person that, um, you know, I, I pretty much try to do everything that is positive that students want to do and, and facilitate, make it happen. So, so I'm sorry, I messed up your first question. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you didn't mess it up. So that um, leads me to, so what was your first reaction when they approached you about the Jewish Student Association? Mostly, I, w- I was just sure, you know, like I said, I'd, I'm willing to, um, try to help students do whatever they want to do and mm-hmm. say, well, gosh, that's true. We didn't have a club at that point. And, and there wasn't sort of a um, kind of a, a designated friendly kind of space, you know, for students to, um, you know, share things and, and, and sort of meet each other. And, and um, so mostly, um, like I said, mostly, Oh, we're going to get photobombed here with <laughs> kitties. Um, that, uh, um, I'm, I'm just very willing to mm-hmm. help with any of those sort of things. And I, I have, I haven't actually asked any of the people. So they had said, well, we asked this person, we asked that person. And I haven't gone to those folks to ask why they didn't say yes. You know, I figure that everybody has their own personal reasons. Maybe they're busy, you know, that type of thing. But, um, but I have, I've gotten an impression 
that some people are afraid to sort of be openly Jewish, you mm. know? Um, and, and certainly it was the thing, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe you remember, um, actually my son was going to the, um, there was an after school program. Well, first he was in the, in the, in the preschool program. And then eventually he was in the after school program at the Albany JCC. Mm-hmm. And so when, um, um, when Trump took office, there were a number of times that they evacuated the building because they had gotten bomb threats and things like yeah. that. And at the time, you know, we thought they were very serious. You know, we thought, you know, this place really could get bombed. And so my husband and I sat down and we talked about it and said, well, you know, what if, what if it really does happen? And we really kind of just listened to our hearts and said, well, you know, it could happen, you know, cause there really are nasty people out there like that, but we want to stay with our friends, you know, mm-hmm. and John wanted to stay with his friends. One of his buddies since kindergarten was the son of the rabbi and, <laughs> the and stuff. And so it, it's just, it was sort of a, yeah, it was kind of a moment, but you know, we knew where we wanted to be. We wanted to be with our friends. Yeah. You know, and I totally, I totally remember when all of that was going on. And I remember it was also happening in New York. It was happening all over the country with JCCs. Yeah. It wasn't just um, the Albany JCC. And um, that, and I was wondering, so in the union, do you guys discuss anti-Semitism openly and student experiences with anti-Semitism? I think, I think it comes up, we haven't done like a program on it. We, I think it's come up more in the casual conversations where, Sometimes people have said, oh, you know, do you think this is happening? You know, do, uh, the kinds of things where someone isn't sure. It's kind of like the microaggressions with people of color. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are things where you're like, well, is that, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? You know, is that really happening? And and most of the time we kind of say, yeah, that's probably really happening, that there's something going on. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I've felt at times that... Um, that being the club advisor, I, you know, a couple times I've run into people that I think, gosh, they, they just have a certain vibe that I, I mm-hmm. think they're anti. And, you know, and to some extent when I feel that, I'm like, well, you know, like I said, I, I want to be with my friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And, and that, uh, that hopefully in the long term, um, you know, hopefully in the long term, things like that can be overcome. Um you know, just with those human connections, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, I mean, there, there are certainly times when I've actually gone with students for, for other, for other reasons. There, there, there have been things I've been around Hudson Valley as a, as a staff person since 2009, I've taught some classes. I've been in the LAC. Um, I was a student, um, academic advisor for a little while. So I've, I've been, I've been around for a while and there have been a couple of times that students have come to me and said, you know, th- th- there was a, a racial, prejudice incident. There was a, um, incident with respect to, um, someone's sexual orientation, things like that. And so, you know, there's a definitely occasions where, you know, I, I do have a strong impulse to just stand up for people and, and kind of say, no, you know, the right thing to do is, and you know, that, that can be, that can cost me a bit sometimes, <laughs> you know, but, um, but I, I think, in the long run, it's, it's that, uh, that thing about, you know, that the long arc of history bends toward justice that Martin Luther mm-hmm. King said, it's like, if, if I don't, if I don't participate in those moments and kind of pull on that arc of justice a bit, as much as I can, you know, the arc won't bend, mm-hmm. you know, we just have, we just have to do the right thing. And we have to stay with our friends at the JCC and we have to, um, you know, just, 
um, I, kn- I know the um, that there have been a couple of times that people have have said to me that they think the way that I do things is is kind of incredible, and I'm like, I, I just I can't see another way of doing it. It's just it's the right thing to do, and so that's you know there really isn't a choice, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So. And how should um, stu- students and staff on um, HPCC's campus? Because you seem like you're a big advocate for fighting prejudice and hate. Mm-hmm. Um, how should students and staff get involved in fighting all of that? Well, I, you know, I think each situation can be a little bit delicate mm-hmm. um, to, it, it, you know, it's, it, you kind of have to do things on a, a case-by-case basis to kind of assess what the situation is and what the right, you know, what the next step is. Um, I have gone through a couple of different occasions. This was not at Hudson Valley, but there was one I had gone shopping with a friend of mine who had just immigrated to the U.S. from an, another country. She had very dark skin. You know, mm-hmm. and so we went shopping for a new suit so she could go um, do an, a presentation at work for the big bosses and all that. And we ran into a, a store clerk that was clearly, you know, she would do everything for me, but nothing mm-hmm. for my nothing for my friend. And and you know, we when she, she was the first one who noticed it, and she said, "Oh, do you think something's up with this store clerk?" And and I said, "You know, let's test it." And so we did. You know, three were scientists. <laughs> no, she and I. <laughs> Um, and my background is in engineering and science. Mm. So we, we sort of set a, set up a scenario three times we tested. She, the clerk would do everything for me, would call down to the New York City store, would call in a tailor, would do, you know, everything in the world for me, but nothing at all for Rita. So it's like, all right, after the third time, it's like, yep, okay, now we need to talk to your supervisor, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so the, you know, there have, there have been, you know, instances like that where we've had to go to, um, you know, one of the, uh, I'll forget the correct title, but there was a, a VP of student affairs that has, has retired now, but we had to, you know, go and chat with him and say, okay, you know, this thing is happening with one of the, one of the, um, at that time with the faculty, um, you know, we need to address it. So that was a pretty tricky thing for me because I was an adjunct person, <laughs> you know, and adjuncts can be dismissed pretty much for no reason, you know, immediately and instantly. So, um, but that's, again, that's the thing that, that, it's the right thing to do. And so if I end up losing a job over it, you know, that's sometimes the way the cookie crumbles, <laughs> you know? Um, but so I, I guess I haven't run into, I haven't seen too many like really negative things like that about differences in religion at, at Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I haven't seen it. But I also wonder at the, the folks who were asked to be club advisor, why did they say no? Mm. You know, what was, what was it that made them hold back? You know, and I, and again, I, I just, I don't know. Mm. And as someone who um, is not Jewish themselves and is the faculty advisor for the Jewish Student Union, what have you learned about Judaism and um, oh, Jewish well, identity? <laughs> <laughs> Mainly, I mean, my role is to facilitate, right? So, yeah. so I, I primarily ask, you know, what am I allowed to do? What am I not supposed to do? You know, <laughs> what am I not supposed to touch because I'll make it not kosher? You know, things like that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've I've learned bits and things like, you know, bringing, um, you know, bags of fresh apples for snacks because they're not cut, and you know, you can just eat them. And at least that's what um, that's what um, what I've learned from from people is that we can, you know, we can have snacks that are 
you know, that, that type of thing is going to be kosher just naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, things like, um, you know, bringing bottles of Snapple tea because it's designated, you know, or at least it used to be, I don't, I actually haven't checked since they changed the bottles recently, but, um, so, so bits and things like that, like how to mostly just set things up so that the students can do what they want. And then I get out of the way, (laughs) you know, um, we, we set up a thing, we had a carpool to, um, and I might pronounce it wrong, but the, um, there's a synagogue on river street in Troy, which is, I think it's Beth to Yeah. I, I might so, be right. pronouncing it wrong, but they, there was a field trip there. That was actually the last thing we did right before the pandemic hit, and then we couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we had a field trip and went around the, um, you know, it's a beautiful building. It was historic. Um, uh, the rabbi, you know, talked about um, all the different services and things that they do there. And, and just, you know, it's, it's have, have you been? Have you been to see it? So, see, I'm, I'm new to the area, so I'm originally from New York City. Um, so I just moved up here last year, and because of COVID, I we my family and I we haven't really been able to explore the different synagogues and stuff like that. But we're looking to join one, and I've definitely heard of that name before. Um, so Rabbi Morrison and his family, um, and I and I'm always afraid to mispronounce things, but her, his wife's name is Ellie Shiva, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they often bring things to campus, like they've brought, um, you know. They've brought latkes for student events. They've, um, um, now, I, I won't remember the name of all the things, but they, they'll set up like a little, um, a little sukkah type thing on campus. Mm-hmm. Usually we haven't, we didn't do it this year. We didn't do it last year, but something so that, you know, students who, who come by, who can, um, you know, participate in that, in that mitzvah and, and, you know, they, they can, uh, um, they can do, you know, and, and again, I, I kind of set things up and then run away because <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. It's like, I don't want to touch anything and mess it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, <laughs> and what sorry I, if I'm misrepresenting anything. I try not to. <laughs> um, and what has the student um, reaction been like to the club? How have, have, they, have they loved it? Have they hated it? What, what has it all been like for them? Well, I mean, what what I've understood is that students have, have really, you know, enjoyed having, you know, the ability to make that connection, the ability to, you know, to to, to some extent, there there are people that, you know, you kind of you, you can't tell just by looking at someone, <laughs> you know, and and so having 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 those gatherings, kind of walking in, you know, I I remember one of my experiences in in college was, um, I had um, I've been walking I went to Binghamton from, from, I transferred from Hudson Valley to Binghamton for my third and fourth years. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking along the street one day and the um, Kabad house was all lit up. Lots of people were in there and there was a sign out front that said, all are welcome. And I'm like, well, I'm part of all. <laughs> so I went in, right? And, um, and, and so that, that was a really neat kind of experience. But one of the really funny things that happened was when I first walked in and I see, okay, the girls are sitting over here and the boys are sitting over there and, you know, there's, things are all kind of set up. And one of the girls jumps up and comes running over to me and says, Crystal, I didn't know you were Jewish. <laughs> and I was like, Lauren, I didn't know you were Jewish. And she ended up being one of my best friends from college. If we had passed in a dining hall at some point, and that's how we even knew each other's names. But mm-hmm. um, but it was from, from that time, I, <laughs> I was like, Lauren, I didn't know I was Jewish. <laughs> you know, so it, was, it was funny. Um, and... Uh, I ended up going back a bunch of different times. And I remember one particular evening, um, 
whoever was supposed to set up the hall and turn on the lights and whatever hadn't gotten there before it got dark. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's there in the dark and I come in and they're like, okay, we have to leave the lights off because nobody's allowed to turn on the lights. And I'm like, I could do it. <laughs> so, so I turned on the lights. Um, but that was, you know, like, well, all right, you guys have all sat here for 20 minutes in the dark. Now we can have lights. <laughs> so so it's, I've really enjoyed sort of having that kind of facilitator role to be, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a bunch of different cases, I've actually found people who didn't realize they had Jewish history Mm. and have, you know, accidentally, you know, someone that I was like, oh, you know, the Jewish club is going to meet, you know, why don't you come by? And then, you know, someone's come and they're like, well, we, you know, we want to learn something about, you know, it's another, another culture and other religious values and traditions and things like that. And then they started talking to Rabbi Morrison and his wife does a lot of genealogy stuff. And so she researched their genealogy and was like, oh, by the way, you're actually Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, oh, that's fun. And so we've we've located a few people like that who didn't know. And um, and what was another one? There was I had a roommate in college for a while who um, her family was like they had a, a, you know, ancient Jewish connection, but weren't practicing Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I had started learning how to do things with, with the Chabad group. I was, you know, learning to make challah and like, I would make it for myself. Obviously it wasn't, you know, <laughs> not for everyone else to eat, but you know, I, I would do that. And, and so she started getting interested and started learning some things. And I started asking her questions like, well, what's Purim anyway? And what, <laughs> you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I had started asking her questions that she didn't know. And so she'd call her mom and she'd call her grandma and she'd call and so by the end of the school year, when um, we were all graduating and leaving, I remember her mom, you know, hits the front door of our little apartment. And she comes running in and she's like, where's Crystal? Where's Crystal? And she comes running up and she gives me this huge hug. And she was like, thank you for making my daughter interested in her history. You know? <laughs> and so I was like, I did. I, I don't know. I was just asking questions because I wanted to know. You know? <laughs> anyway, so that was really neat. And um, so... Sorry, I, I keep messing up all your questions. No, so you're not messing up any questions. This is, like, super, super interesting. And um, so you mentioned that you have a science background in engineering. So I was wondering, um, do you feel like you have to balance the religious part of your life or in the science part, or do you feel like they can be interconnected and work together? Well, I tend, I tend to think that there are things that science hasn't figured out yet. You know, that, you know, initially you, you might've heard the story about Marie Curie and, and, um, and her husband and that they had, um, they had been rock collectors and they had this photographic paper in a drawer where they also put some of their collected you know, things that they found. And it was the photographic paper that got damaged by the radiation from the stones. And that's how they figured out what radiation was because you couldn't measure it before. And eventually, you know, figured out how to um, how to create devices that measure radiation. You know, it's a thing we can't we can't sense, you know, unless it's really strong and then you're getting burned. But, you know, <laughs> typically you, you don't um, you don't know what that frequency is with our eyes and our you know regular senses. So I tend to think that there are more things that and, and scientists, real scientists, I think, will um, admit, you know, that they don't know everything, that, that the 
more important thing is to create new questions, not necessarily to answer all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we go out and we look for answers and look for data and look for theories and look for unifying um, sort of theories, but we don't have mm-hmm. all the answers. People, at least in my opinion, people who are really scientists don't tend to have that arrogant attitude, you know, if, the, if that's really what's in their heart, you know, as opposed to being like showmen or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So at least it's my opinion that there are a lot of things going on in the universe that we haven't figured out how to sense yet. And so why couldn't there be, you know, why, why, you know, why couldn't there be a God? Why couldn't there be angels? Why couldn't there be spirits? You know, why couldn't there be souls? Just because we haven't figured out how to measure it yet doesn't mean it isn't there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but maybe I could add that, uh, at least in, in my family, um, the day that I, I come from a family that was led by a pretty strong atheist. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, I know many atheists who are wonderful people. This particular individual isn't, you know, um, but uh, the day I joined church was the day I got disowned. Awesome. Um, so it just, um, I don't know. Some people are just really uh, toxic. You know, and so looking back on it now, I say, well, you know, that person isn't in my life now. That's actually better for me, yeah. you know, so even though, you know, it's unfortunate and, um, oh, well, some people are blessed with good families. Some people not so much, but, yeah, you know. I'm sorry that happened but, to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think the role of religion on campus is? You know, I think to a great extent, people, I think to a great extent, people hold back. They don't, um, and, and, and I think in many instances that, 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 that feeling of separating, you know, that it's a good thing to separate church and state, you know, as a, as a general thing, I think is good, but individuals can express themselves if they want to. And, um, I don't feel like we, I don't feel like we sort of have an atmosphere that's as friendly to that as maybe it could be, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I hope that, you know, by facilitating clubs and saying, yeah, it's okay to um, just be who you are. And if, if someone wants to, if, you know, I've had a, a couple times people say things to me that um, in, in the past, not at Hudson Valley, but, you know, say things to me in the past that were, um, you know, certainly very religiously oriented phrases of, you know, may God bless you and you know, may God bless your day and, you know, things like that. And I, I find those things very nice. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I know what it sounds, I, I guess I could take that back a little bit and say, I know what it sounds like when someone says Merry Christmas to you and they mean it as a threat. I've heard it. I know what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, my family for a while lived in, um, in a, in a different state and, my stepfather actually came from a Muslim country. He's not Muslim, but he came from a Muslim country. And so people had their certain assumptions and things like that. Um, so, you know, I've, I've seen some of that ugly side of things and I'm hoping that by being, um, kind of a well welcoming and open person that we can shift that balance, you know, and, and tell people that are negative that they, 
they have to change their attitudes. That that's just not a good way to be in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I'm saying that very well, but no, you, <laughs> you know. Um, I've, I've, had, I've had the clan to come to my house and uh, and stood up to them and said, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm from New York, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so when are the when is when are the Jewish um, student union meetings? Just at the moment, we don't have any scheduled. Um, mm-hmm. I think with the pandemic and everything, people have just kind of kept in touch by cell phone and by um, email and things like that. So um, I would like to have some more. <laughs> Um, we need, and I think part of the thing is that we've had some of the people graduate and move on, transfer to other schools. So we're kind of in between things on the leadership. Mm-hmm. So I, at the moment, I think we're, we're waiting for someone to, who wants to say, I want to be president. <laughs> and then the ball will start rolling again. Cool. Well, thank you so much for um, being on the HUD today. And... Yeah, thank you so much for letting me interview you. I hope it's useful. (laughs) It's very useful. Thank you. You're welcome.